Between us, we've represented Australia 10 times, raced at three Olympic Games, won multiple national championships, and failed accounting at university. It doesn't take a genius to figure out who contributed what, but nonetheless, Jeff Risley, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Now, mate, before we start, we need to address the uh, the tension in the room. I don't know whether you know this, but uh, there is a bit of tension. Um, I think you owe me an apology. So just to refresh your mind and the uh, listeners at home, let me give you a quick rundown. Earlier this year, we raced out at Ballarat um, on the Athletics Victoria Circuit in a 15k road race, and it's all going smoothly for me. There's a lead pack out in front, and we had a, a pack of about 10 to 12. We're settling on along nicely. Everyone's doing their turn at the front, and I'm thinking, far out. I'm on for a top 20 finish here. I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm counting my eggs before they've hatched. And all of a sudden, we get to the, uh, the 10k marker, uh, look up, and you've decided that you've had enough of running with us plebs. You've had enough of using me for a windbreak and you've just thrown the absolute hammer down. And I soon realized that uh, not only you made foxing us for the last 10Ks, that I also realized my skinny legs had no extra gears. As my mum would say, Jeff, I'm not mad at you, I'm just disappointed. Um, yeah, well, it was a 15K road race, so it was the longest like distance I've ever raced and a lot different to 8 and 15. Um, so I didn't really know how I was going to go. I guess for me, the cross-country season was just more about getting back out there again. And um, yeah, obviously you had surgery, which I guess we'll probably touch on later. But it was sort of like there was a physical rehab and then there was like the psychological part yeah. of mental rehab. And those races for me were just sort of throwing myself in there and see how I could go. And um, yeah, we had a really good group. I think we were sitting on about like 315s. On the for, dot, 315s on yeah, the dot. Yeah, for a while. And, yep. Um, there's actually quite a few guys that we were picking up along the way that had gone out and they were sort of between packs and um, yeah I was, I was thinking you know because I've been doing threshold around 315s to 320s but obviously a race is always different and yeah I sort of got to 10k and I was like oh you know I'd sort of planned to maybe run the back half a bit better and um, one of the Geelong guys dropped it down to 310 so I was like alright sweet I get to sit for a bit longer and um, yeah, I think we got, I got a bit itchy at about the 12k mark, and I dropped a couple of um, sub three minutes. Yeah, um, I, I took off. That's um, when I that's when I realised I have got nothing left in the tank here. Um, yeah, but then I got to about 14 and a half k, and I realised like, like the finish was better than I thought, and I was really stinging. Um, but yeah, like for me, the you know even the 10k at um, Albert Park, it was just more like getting. Getting back into the swing of things. Yeah, just getting used to hurting again. And yeah. Being in that uncomfortable place for, for a long time. And I just, yeah, I really enjoyed the, the 10s and the 15s because it sort of, it didn't build up, it built up on you a lot slower, sort of. And it was just sort of, you're constantly in a mental battle. It's like, you know, do I push here yep. or do I need to conserve? And It's a bit of a, um, uh, it's a bit of like a, it's sort of mental over physical because in, in a 15, for example, you, you're hurting pretty much straight away. But in a 10K, it starts to, the, the wind comes in, you start to battle around yeah. mentally 5 and 6Ks, yeah. different type of hurt. Yeah, and especially like the wind at Alba Park threw up a whole yeah. another sort of yeah um, set of challenges because like you were all right on the way out and yep. as soon as you turn, you're in a stiff wind and some guys wanted to run hard against it, other people were relaxing and then you know some people would go off and then the big pack would just slow them back up again because yep. they couldn't kind of maintain the effort. So yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I actually kind of really enjoyed the fifteen k, but it took me a few days to um, <laughs> to, recover. to recover. I think it took me more than a few days. Yeah. I think I'm still recovering. Yeah. Um, in all seriousness, though, that does give us an introduction into your, I guess, full time occupation over the last ten years as a professional runner. Um, as I said, you've represented Australia ten times, um, four world championships, three Olympic games, and a top five finish at the Commonwealth Games. 
Was being a professional track and field athlete something you dreamed about growing up or just something you stumbled into later in life? Um, yeah, something I sort of stumbled into later in life. Um, I always uh, ran when I was younger, um, but like I remember sort of going off to year seven, I went to Mazinon College, which was a fair way away from my hometown. Like I had to sort of get a train and a bus. Um, Mum kind of, I guess, tried to send me to the best school they probably could and give me a bit of an opportunity. And um, yeah, but from year seven, I went from like one of the tallest kids to sort of not growing until year 12. So it wasn't really until year 12 that I um, actually started to sort of show a little bit of ability. And um, I, I made that year, I made my first um, state cross-country team, but it was sort of by default because I finished 14th at the state champs and a lot of the guys opted to do the AB one. So I like managed to sneak into the school's team. Um, yeah, and I remember going to Canberra and, um, you know, I was doing these runs down my dirt road out in Narrawarra South at the time and um, I was like doing 15 to 20 minute runs. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting really fit. And then I remember rooming with Liam Adams and he, he was telling me about his training. He's doing 120k a week. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and it's sort of no surprise that I think I finished 40th out of 45th that year. And I think Liam or Dave McNeil won. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, showing my age, like that was back in the dial-up internet. Yes. Um, so yeah, just information about training and, and just like things weren't as like accessible. You yep, know? Like, yep. There was no like, Strava back then. Yeah, there was no Garmin watches. Yeah, no, yep. yeah. Well, I was, I was thinking the other day, like Garmin, I only really got into Garmin like a watch after sort of 2012 Olympics. Yeah, so right. We sort of just did a lot of our runs by like time and feel and yep. um, didn't have that feedback. So um, yeah, I just, I, I honestly didn't really know about it and um, in year 12, like I, I jumped two metres and I jumped. Um, so I did the four hurdles as the state champs and I think I, by the end of year 12, I think I'd run 153 and like at the all school. So like I was okay, but that was like coming from two minutes down to one yeah. I just made some huge jumps. Yep. So um, yeah, the following year I actually ended up playing AFL football for Old Collegians, Mazinot, um in Amos just to keep in touch. Just with, ticking over. Just keep in touch with my friends and stuff. Yeah, well, like, you know, athletics is not really a pathway. Like yep. you don't really know. Like I wasn't identified for World Juniors or, yep. or anything like that. And um you know, whereas you play footy, it's like TSA Cup. If you don't get, you know, if you don't get drafted, you probably go VFL and then you go in. Whereas we, there's not really anything. And um, yeah, it wasn't until probably 2006 when I watched Com Games here in Melbourne where I thought, you know, I probably need to be a bit more serious at this. Um, so yeah, that winter season I did the AB winter season, and I probably got my mileage up to about 70 to 80k a week. And um, and yeah, that year my PBs went from. Um, uh, 150 to 146 and 354, I think, to 338. Jeez, yeah, that's unreal. Just because I got fit. Yep. Um, putting in the work. Yeah, just yep. putting in the work. And um, I ended up having a ridiculous stress fracture off the back of that because um, I probably went from, you know, too quickly. But You went yeah. from uh, 20 minute jogs to uh, a couple of 90 minute jogs, and all of a sudden the body thinks, oh, no, I don't really like doing this at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I met Nick Bedell and all of a sudden I was traveling Europe and yep. like I was just like thrown straight into it. Like yeah, it was, run to the deep end. Yeah, it was um, a pretty steep learning curve when you're um, a bit of a mummy's boy at home and um, you travel on the world and you got to learn to cook and clean and do your washing and all those sort of things. So um, yeah, it was great. Like it opened my eyes up to kind of what was possible and 
Um, yeah, I just think, you know, travelling as well, you just kind of get a bit more worldly and you yeah. kind of see a little bit more of the possibilities. And um, and then, yeah, so, like, I, I just, it literally happened in the space of a year. Like, end of 2006, um, that starting that season to being in Europe and making my first World Champs in 07. And then every year just became, well, you know, major champs, little holiday, train, and you just, your life is just one year, just fly, they just fly by. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, so you touched on the uh, the 400 hurdles and the long jump. Um, high jump. High jump, sorry, high jump. Yeah. If you suddenly woke up as a uh, baby-faced 18-year-old and you were told that you could represent Australia at each of those 10 championships and games all over again, yeah. but you had to choose a different track and field event, what would it be and why? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, would you get the guns out for a bit of shot put? Um, well, I have claimed to be the... Um, running up with we you know in the club when we were younger we'd go and do the shop or just to see who was the strongest yeah just in front so we used to win that so that was good that was all, always an ego boost but um yeah my year 12 because you're obviously an ACC boy yep um at St. Bernard's yep. after Mazinon so my year 12 I did the 400 the 800 the 1500 the long jump triple jump high jump and the 4x4 four four. um and I won the high jump I won the 800 won the 15 second in the 400 I got third in the long jump second in the triple jump so I think I sort of as a as, as an individual uh, I think I pretty much won us the senior title uh, for that for that year so, are you still waiting for your uh, your check from Mazinon for that <laughs> no I think they put me in the Hall of Fame so oh, there you go I'll take that St. Bernard's, I'm still waiting for my Hall of Fame. I haven't done anything, but if you feel like throwing me into the Hall of Fame, well, I'll not take the it. Hall of Fame, you know, like the way you walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got a picture on the wall yep. and stuff. Um, yeah, so, but I think if I had to do any event, um, maybe the long jump, just because I've got a good friend, Henry Frame, who does it, and it just looks like training's a bit more fun than do some training. I think most events look like training's more fun than distance yeah, running. No, I'm, I'm jealous. Yeah, you know, we've got a huge part of our um, event that's tactical. Yep. Whereas it's kind of just you against the board um, and you've literally just got to execute, you know, the board. Whereas <laughs> endurance running or distance running is, you can't really plan anything. Yep. Because you just got to have like A, B, C and D um, and hope, you know, cross your fingers and your toes and hope for the best. Exactly. So, yeah. Now, so given your... Um, yeah, your introduction to professional athletics, it's a very unique situation to be in given that people like Liam Adams and Dave McNeil had been training, I guess, their whole lives and you've come into the sport a little later. But in saying that, your personal best, it doesn't look like they've suffered at all. I'm going to steal a bit of um, content from the Inside Running podcast, one of my favorites, and just read out your personal best. Tell me if I'm wrong on any. The 400 meters, 48.22. Yeah, that was from under. 20s, I think. Yep, 800, 144, 48, which is the fourth fastest Australian of all time. Yep. Uh, 1,000 metres, 216.09, which is the fastest Australian of all time. Yeah, and to be honest, 1,000 is probably my best event. I actually think I could probably run 214 high. Yeah, okay. Because it's one of those ones you don't get to race it very often, so you don't really know how to execute it. Was that in Ostrava? That you... Yeah, Ostrava, yeah. yeah. What I was that I've like? Been there five times to Australia and I've run four PBs. Yeah, I, I, I travelled through Prague and we ended up, it's a side story, ended up on Prague. a, oh, Prague is amazing. But <laughs> then I, I got off the bus, <laughs> I got off the bus on the way, we were going to Budapest and it was a bus from 
Prague to Budapest. We stopped at Ostrava and I got out and I remember thinking, what is this place? Like, yeah, yeah. So it's a really small town and it's just got this epic stage. Yeah, that was... And they just have this like track and field meet. It's honestly one of the best track and field meets of the whole year. They pack it out. Yep. Sold out. Um, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's, it, it looks like it's insane. I'm yeah, glad they've got... not much around. No. We stay at the hotel pretty much across the road. Yeah. So... There's not much else going on in Australia. Yeah, I don't think you can fly into Australia, so <laughs> I think I'll fly into Bruno or something, drive an hour and a half in. Yeah. And then you go to that hotel, you pretty much walk across the track. Um, I've but, done 75 or a 90 minute long run on the infield. Like, oh, that's rough. Like the day before and then fly, uh, the day after and then fly home. Like you just race and get out of it. That is rough. That's pretty much how um, glamorous the you know, racing in Europe is. <laughs> um, back to the PBs, 1,500, 332, which is fourth fastest. Um, the mile, 351.25, top five for Australia, and 3,809. Um, you've sort of answered this already, but out of all of those, which event or personal best are you most satisfied with and which do you think still has the biggest room for improvement? Oh, um, I don't know. I think I've always had a soft spot for the 15. Um <laughs> Yeah, and that one's from like 2009, so yeah, it's right. 10 years old now, which is um, pretty crazy. Um, yeah, the K was good, because um, the year before I didn't break the record, but I won the race in Ostrava. Yeah, I don't know, but I probably look back on some of the races, and probably one of my best races was actually, I think I ran 352 for a mile, um, and it was pouring rain in um, Oslo, and... It was like the most stacked three mile ever, and like with three hundred, oh, with two hundred to go, I think I was third. I was just right on him, and yep. I thought, shit, I'm a chancey. The then, eyes lit up. Yeah, the eyes lit up, and then yeah, like Kip Rob and Katani and a couple of guys just sort of went past me, but like I went past Choggy and um, a few really sort of good guys were behind me, and um, yeah, so to run three fifty two, low, yeah, like literally pouring down rain. Um, that's probably. The one you look back on most. Yeah, I look back on because yeah, and it has, it's unfortunate enough to look so far back. But it's the reality of my career. Unfortunately, I've spent half of it injured, which is is probably the most disappointing part. But um, yeah, like there was a bunch of races there where you know, like a couple of the the big diamond leagues where I'd you know be top five, um, you know, and that's just not easy to do. Yeah. So they're stacked. The diamond yeah, league meets. Yeah, yeah. You know, like even when I ran my three thirty two nine, I think I finished eighth. Yep. And so it's you know it's not really. It's like it's nice to run fast, but you kind of want to... You want to win the race as well? Yeah, or at least be, feel like you're in the race, yep. you know? Yep. So that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, mate, as someone in the sport, admittedly not near your level, um, I look at your performances and achievements and I, I can understand the significance of them. Like having those the national record, being top four or five over multiple events, the list goes on and on. But given the state of track and field in Australia, unlike other professional athletes in sports like AFL footy or the NRL, Athletes like you get little to no recognition from the media or the public. How does that sit with you? Is it something that annoys you or have you, you come to terms with? Um, I don't mind it because I just like keeping a pretty low profile. I like being able to walk down the street and be anonymous. Whereas like if you're Dusty Martin or one of those guys, you got you know, people writing about you every day of the week and critiquing your whole life. So from that point of view, it's good. Yep. Um, yeah, I, the thing that honestly pisses me off the most is when you get the commentators that say every football player could have made the Olympics in this event do you know what I mean you always hear about um, the AFL footy players and their, their time at the tent yeah always yeah. it's just like oh god come on guys yeah um, and yeah look I'm studying my master in high performance sport and I'll probably end up in football 
And yep. like they're actually like incredible athletes, like in the sense that you got to be good at so many different like capacities, different like, elements. Yeah, yeah. Different elements, and it's and it's largely a skill. So um, the thing that I probably um, you know that's the hardest is to, it, that people don't really understand is how hard we work. Yep. Um, you just got to repeatedly turn up every day of the week. You know. Whereas the guys in, in footy, and it's different, like, you know, I played footy for my one year and I don't think I got one hard ball get for the whole season. So, you know, the ability for those guys just to turn up, like, every week. You yeah. Have to turn up every week. Yep. You know, sometimes we might race every month, you know, because we'd like to go back to training blocks and just hammer ourselves. But, um, you know, they just get a lot more recovery. Like, they train really hard, but then they get a lot more recovery. Whereas, you know, we yep. did a massive session on the track yesterday and I'm, you know, punching out two runs today. So it's just not really, it's just relentless. Yep. Um, it's ongoing. Yeah, so um, yeah. To be honest, I I kind of like I kind of like you know sometimes just land low, get pretty loose. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> There's no journos taking photos of you yeah, or anything like that. Up Snapchat doing stupid shit, <laughs> or anything like that. So I, you know, for me, I'm you know a reasonably private person, so I yep. kind of like I like that part of it. Um, you know, and those guys, you know, they don't get to travel mm. the world and you know do training camps in. You know, St. Moritz and um, all these, you know, beautiful places, Falls Creek and um, just, you know, sip coffees in the summer of Europe. So, you know, like it's got its perks and it's it's got its, you know, if, you, if you're in a sport for the money, then you probably should try and do a different sport. Find something else. Well, yeah. that's what I was going to ask. So given the lack of publicity um, and therefore money in the sport, it's very rare for Australian runners to, like an AFL footy player, live and breathe their profession. Um the silver lining of that is that it's probably encouraged you to explore other passions that you've had. Um, beyond running, have you found a career path or something that you want to do when retirement does come one day? Um, yeah, it's, and you know, I'm 32 now, so it's something that I've been probably thinking about since Rio, I guess, yep. because you never know when it's going to finish. But um, the hardest part is for athletes, like we're training morning and night most times, so it's pretty hard to actually get experience. Mm. Um you know, and I'm one of those guys who's pretty, like, if I'm in, I'm in. Yep. I don't really, I'm not great at juggling kind of multiple, like, things, you know what I mean? But um, it's been great because studies, you know, my, my first degree took me eight or nine years to do exercise science sports, uh, exercise, man- uh, exercise science sports management. Um, and then I've recently just started my master in high performance sport. So um, I work for a sports consulting company well, and, and still am working part-time. And um, so I got to see sort of the business side of um you know, your sort of state sporting bodies and yep. national sporting bodies and, and sort of local government because um, we work with councils on open space and recreation strategies and, and sort of seeing the business side of, of sport and, and recreation and I guess, you know, the push for, you know, how people are exercising differently and, and you know, the kind of infrastructure and needs that sort of need to go forward. So it's been good to see that, but I kind of realised that my passion is, you know, helping people. Um and it's sort of been, you know, the whole time since I started running, you know, I've always helped a lot of the young kids that I train with. And, um, you know, Zach Patterson's probably like my little brother. And I started helping him when he was 16. I think he's 24 now. And, um, you know, he's gradually started training with me, but it was more like for him, for World Juniors, just changing his mindset and sort of, you know, I guess teaching the guys what what's required to be good, but yep. also like showing them how good they can actually be um you know so i love that part of it so i think i think at the end of the day it's probably going to be in high performance sport in some capacity but unfortunately yeah like coaching for athletics is just not it's not 
it's not a job. Unless you're in the States, in which case that's where the big bucks are. Yeah, and it's, it's crossed my mind, um, you know, because I feel like I could probably, um, you know, get a job over there in time. Um, but, man, I'm, yeah, I'm a homeboy. Like, I had a scholarship to actually to Villanova, um, and I couldn't go. It's just too far away from home. Did you miss, miss the, yeah, uh, the home cooking too much? Yeah, a bit of a mum. Yeah, well, I'm not a fully-fledged mummy's boy, but, like, I'm pretty close with my family yeah, my brother and my sister. Like, we, you know, I go watch my brother play footy on weekends yeah. and my sister do work question and stuff. So we're pretty... We still do sort of Christmas holidays and all that sort of stuff together. So I'm pretty tired of my family, so I just don't know if I could sort of... I'd yeah, be hard. It'd be very hard, yeah. Outside of, out of here, and unfortunately, I've set myself up in Hull pretty well. So, um, <laughs> it's a very nice spot. I'm yeah, looking outside now, um, I'm thinking, this is a very nice area. Yeah, especially when the summer's coming. Yeah. So, um, most nights I'm at the beach just chilling. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I think there's going to also be a period when I, I stop running that I'm going to have to go back to the bottom of the food chain a little bit. Mm. Um, not the food chain, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like the, and, and work my way, work back your way up, up. You know what I mean? So I'm probably going to have to do a bit of hard graft again in, in whatever I choose to do. And then maybe like once I get on top of my career and get a bit more flexibility, once I'm sort of, you know, doing, you know, then I can sort of um, get back into the coaching. But yeah, enjoying coaching myself and my yep. group at the moment. And all the boys are going really well and um, love checking in on how they're doing and, you know, managing all their loads and, you know, one of our guys ran 29.15 on the weekend, um, which I think in the last eight months he's gone from 31 down to 29.15. That was more of a performance that, you know, has a little bit of significance, you know, and he called me after the race, he was just so pumped. And, you know, it's, it's a good feeling. So, and, and equally, you know, when they get tired and, you know, training goes a bit the opposite way and they don't go so quite well, you wear that pretty hard. So it's, um, yeah, it's good. What's it like being a coach? You talked about sort of you wear their highs, but you also wear their lows. What's it like trying to balance that with your own highs and lows in the sport? Um, at the moment, I'm really enjoying it because it takes the spotlight off me. Um, and yeah, I guess like last few years have been real hard, like really hard. Yep. Um, like since pretty much since 2015, like I've just been banged up and yep. like, you know, sitting on anti-inflammatories and cortisones and, blood in your stool and mm. just you know can't get out of bed in mornings and stuff like that you know and that, that really wears you down so I sort of I guess I I sort of um had surgery last year you know just more for my quality of life and to yeah. just enjoy you know um just general running um you know with that mindset that if it goes well like I'll get back and I'll go yeah so it's been good just to sort of put my focus into those guys yeah. um, takes takes the pressure off takes the pressure off, off yourself yeah. yep yeah so um at the moment, it's, it's working really well because I worry about them and I don't worry about me. And, nah, beautiful. Um, at the end of the day, like, if you don't have good training partners or a good group around you, like, you're nothing. Because, like, if I had to go and do this sport on my own, I would quit. You know, so it's really about, like, and even, you know, it's, like, you know, it's not a glamorous sport. We don't get, I've been pretty well rewarded for it in the past. Um, so, like, I'm one of the lucky ones, but it's more... I think when I look back on my career, it'll be like the relationships that I've created and like, and the journey like I've shared with the guys, like, um, you know, going to Falls Creek, you know, we'll go in January and just yep. sort of training hard, sipping coffees and then, you know, sort of we'll have the season and I think all of us will get over to Europe or America at some stage and it's just kind of sharing the journey. Yeah. That's kind of what I think. It makes it more rewarding when you've got a group around you and yeah, you can, yeah, you can, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of why I'm still, I'm still in it, I guess. Yep. 
Um, we spoke briefly about the US before and how big track and field is over there. There's obviously a lot of money, sponsorships, um, and just generally people know um, who the athletes are, their stories. It's not the same in Australia where track and field seems to struggle. Um, attendances yeah. at races like Zatopec yeah. are struggling. Um, what do you think needs to change to encourage more participation? Is it stuff like the Nitro Athletics that happened a few years ago or do you think yeah. the answer lies elsewhere? Um, look, I don't think the sport's any bigger over in America. It's just it's a bigger market. So, yeah, okay. Like if, yeah, like the American guys actually get really well paid. But I guess if you compare their pay to what the NBA guys are getting, they're getting nothing. Mm. You know, like the, the relative to what they're getting paid is probably relatively to what, you know, the footy, do you know the footy Yeah, players? gotcha, so, yep, yep. Like if you sort of probably look at, yeah, okay, we might know them a little bit more and we might think that they're big, but like they're nothing compared mm. to the NBA and the NFL and baseball stars out there. Like, you know, so they're struggling as much as we are. In terms of making the sport better, like to be honest, I think it's trying to get rid of this elitist tag. You yep. know what I mean? Like, um, you know, we just had the Melbourne Marathon here and we sold out 37,000 people, but not one of them would know me or um, I don't think many of them would know, you know, Jack Rayner or Brett Robinson, who you know probably our best marathon guys at the moment. I don't think many of them would know who Shuey is, who's like killing it. Yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? So yep. there's a huge disconnect between people who are generally running around the tan going through the same feelings as we are in terms of hurt and just at a different pace and different things. So I think there's a real um, disconnect there. And, um, yeah, it's interesting to see what will sort of happen. You know, if um, you've got, you know, people like Matt Davey and Zach and Zacha and, you know, they've got run to PB and there's a lot of more people starting to sort of, I guess, infiltrate into that market. Yep. Um, and yeah, Tim Crosby's done it really well. Like he's pretty big in that space. So um, I think there's an appetite for it there. It's just, I guess, trying to make it work. You know, there's, I don't know, if you think about it, like if, you know, you're a person that wants to get fit or in shape or whatever, you probably, like there's a million PTs, you can find them. But if you wanted to actually learn about running, there's actually probably not that many coaches or people that you can go to. And if they are, they're not I mean? overly accessible. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I think there's opportunities there. It's just like connecting them. And yeah, like Ben Harradine, um, who's a discus thrower, um, he lives in Sweden because he's married to a Swedish girl. He runs a club there. And I think his club generates something like 40 million euro a year. Like, Far out. So it'd be like Western Athletics generating 40 million a year. Yeah. And they're a non for profit. Yeah. All that money goes straight back into the club. So they own three fun runs. And one of them is a night one that sells out, I guess, 36,000 people or whatever. And I think all their members, um, like, registrations for free as long as they do, like... A certain amount of races? No, a certain amount of hours in terms of volunteering, like the water stations and all that sort of stuff. So, like, he pays his athletes, he pays his coaches, like, he's building tracks. And it's like, so, yeah, whereas I think a lot of, um, you know, News Corp, I'm pretty sure, own... Um, city to surf mm. and that's a real shame because there's seven or eighty thousand people so how many people do that thing oh it's insane the numbers they yeah. get but you but look how at much of it is getting funneled back into grassroots yeah the sport or the elite aspect of the sport not much Zero. and then like you can they, like i remember motram they wanted motram to do it one year and Nick said you know this is how much it's going to cost and i said yeah right yeah you can like you just look at the prize money decrease over the last couple of years mm. and there's almost no incentive for an elite runner to go up there now yeah like yeah there's there's not much money being put the back into the sport maybe you know from a, from where McGrath's in, like, yeah. whatever 
through. Yeah. You know, so there's some, yeah, there's some, probably some issues in our sport that, you know, we, unfortunately, there's a few, a few of the assets that make good money out of sport we don't own. It goes into the pockets of media people and people who are not, doesn't, don't care about sport. Yeah, no, well said. Um, so we spoke about world champs and games you've been to. In the lead up to, say, an Olympic Games or a Commonwealth Games, how important is work-life balance to make sure you don't go into the games overtrained? Um, and on that, what would an average week look like in terms of mileage and intensity? That sort of life balance has been massive for me the whole time. Like I've always tried to study. Um, you know, when I was sort of back with Melbourne Track Club, like I, I skipped a lot of the camps. Um, I didn't spend, you know, as long overseas just because I'd get a little bit homesick and I just don't like living out of my bag and, and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, the, the month leading in, like, you know, a, a typical month for me, like a week for me would be, you know, um, probably 60 minutes on Monday, track in the morning on Tuesday, you know, the, probably six to eight K in the session, sort of five and warm up, five K warm down. So, and then another afternoon run, Wednesday would be another 60. Thursday's usually like fresh old fart lake and another run, Friday I take off. Um, Saturday's normally some kind of longer reps and hills, short hills. Um, and another run, and then Sunday is usually long runs, 90. So I normally sort of get between 120, 125K. Yeah, leading in, it sort of drops. Like your mileage would probably drop to 70, and the intensity yep. sort of goes up. Um, you know, I guess switching off, and, um, you know, in Europe it's easy to be lazy because, you know, you're just literally sitting around and running. So you've got to get into a lot of, you've got to enjoy TV or, you know, binge and TV shows. But, um, yeah, it is, you know, like... The Olympics are pretty massive. They only come around every four years. So, yep. like, it does get pretty intense and there's a big build-up. So, yeah, you've certainly got to be aware of it and, and manage, you know, anxiety and arousal and, and all that sort of stuff and, yep. and not sort of get too carried away with it. So, um, yeah, it, and that really probably comes down to, yeah, just having that awareness of your body and your mind and where you're at. Yep. As an outsider looking in, I would have assumed that that period following... Uh, Rio um, would have been some of the best times of your life. You've just ran at your third Olympic Games. You hold the national record, multiple national championships. You're one of the fastest Australians of all time over the 800 and 1500. Unfortunately, though, underneath all of those achievements on the surface level, you are facing one of the toughest battles of your life. Do you want to touch on some of those struggles that you are facing beyond the track? Yeah. Um, gosh, she was going down my spine and got goosebumps. Um, just think about it. Um, yeah, look... Um, 2015 and 16 was pretty challenging. Yep. Um, 2015, I was probably in the best shape of my life. Like I won the double at the nationals, the 800 and 1500 the same weekend, and first man in 25 years yeah, to do that. Yeah, and I beat two national record holders to do it. Yeah, um, Ryan Gregson and, and Alex Rowe. So, you know, that was pretty significant. And, and then I kind of went over to Europe, and I was in such good shape, but just couldn't kind of get into the races that I needed to get into. It was a little bit political over there, and. Um, sometimes it's hard and, and I was like, yeah, and no, I just keep chipping away and I was kind of going into world champs like thinking I'm going to make a final. Like some of the sessions I was doing, unbelievable. Like one of the last sessions I did, I think it was, um, I think it was 1,200 in 64s and then I did um, four 400s on five minutes recovery and I think I averaged like 50.5 or 51 um, and then did two 150s flat out after that. Um, 
Um, and that was like on a Tuesday. I think on the Wednesday or Thursday, I was flying to Japan, the, the departure camp, and I just had this like little twinge in my planner, and um, and then just flying, like it just started aching because um, it was a long haul flight, like it was a twelve or fourteen hour flight, I think, across um, Europe, and um, yeah, so I ended up turning up there, and I couldn't run the next day, and I ended up having a cortisone in it, and that didn't settle it down, and. I pretty much um, went into World Champs and we put local in it. That was the only way I was going to be able to run. Yep. Um, and then I tore it in the race, um, in the heat. And I like I qualified easy. I think I was second last with 200 to go. But I'd watched so many videos of like previous World Champs. So I knew if I ran 26 low for my last two, that would be enough. And I kind of stayed patient and just like popped out in the straight and automatic qualifier. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good here. I'm on. Yeah, and then uh, the local wore off and I couldn't walk. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, yeah, and then we had like, it was like a 36-hour break and I was doing everything I could, but I essentially ruptured my planner. And we went back to the track and we locally injected it again and I tried to warm up and I was like, this is not happening. Like, I was doing my strides and my spikes and I could just feel it like ripping. Oh, yeah. And I was like, no, nah, this is not worth it. So I had to pull out there and that was really frustrating just because I put such a big body of work in and I just didn't get the reward for that season. Mm. Um, so that was really challenging and I literally flew home the next day and I was, within a day I was in the surgery, having planned a surgery. And so from there, like, I was like, yeah, this is all right. Like, I've had the same surgery already, like, in 2010 on my other planner. I was like, you know, I know the recovery and it'll be fine. Like, I'll get back running. And it just sort of kept lingering and could never really get it right. I didn't really get it right till March. So from March till August, I was just pushing hard. Like, every day had to be like 110, 120%. Yep. Um, and I was just lucky that I ran 144 the year before because, like, within the period. Because otherwise, like, they probably wouldn't have selected me for the Olympics. But, you know, I was still probably... And I still went over, I still ended up running 145.1 before in London before the Olympics. Um, but like there was touch and go there because like I was trying to balance like getting out there and racing and showing form but trying to prepare for the Olympics. And so every day was just stressful. Like I had to nail every single day. And then we, like we had some a long, a long travel from um, Frankfurt to um, Florida and then was there for a few days, it was hot as hell, and then had an overnight flight into Rio, and I was the first morning, and I just don't think I recovered from the overnight flight, and, and just the other flight into the thing, and um, whereas a lot of the other people were on that flight, they had an extra day, or even mm. two days, and I just felt shocking um, at the Olympics, and um, you know, it didn't, third one didn't go well, yep. <laughs> and I was just like, holy, you know, crap, like, first one I was sick. Second one, I was pretty much living on anti-inflammatories because I had osteitis pubis. Um, and, you know, doing sessions and running flat out 300s the first five and 10 metres off the line, like I was grimacing just to get up to speed. Because once I was at speed, I was okay. But it was like, yeah, um, you know, so I was just like, oh, not again. And um, Unfortunately, Rio wasn't a great Olympics. Like, they didn't finish the buildings and, like... There's a lot of drama surrounding it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't think they got paid, a lot of the builders, so they were, like, pouring, like, plaster and things down the plumbing and stuff. Yeah, right. So you'd shower and the shower would just fill up and the food wasn't great. And um, me and Henry Frame were just like, let's get out of here. So we actually, like, I left. 
So I didn't see the closing the opening ceremony. I didn't see the closing when I went back to Europe, and I was like, right, you know, I just need to like make something of the season, you know, get out there. And I just like I went off to Slovakia and I raced, and I think I still ran one forty six, which is like not bad, but like for me. Um, and my old man works night shift, so I'd call him after every single race, and I just said, Dad, like, I just, I don't know if I can do this anymore, you know, like, I'm just, I'm tired, like, I was just exhausted, and, um, yeah, I remember being in Cologne, and, um, just walking down the street, and, um, yeah, just feeling, like, so overwhelmed and helpless, and just, like, I was spiraling out of control, um, and, you know, like, it's beautiful weather, and Cologne's a beautiful city, and I'm doing something I love, and I just remember, like, breaking down, crying, like, mm. in the street, just like, I just can't do this anymore, like, um, yeah, so that was kind of when I started, I just think, um, yeah, I was just exhausted and anxiety, and, um, you know, every four years, like, like, you kind of plan for a four years, you know what I mean, yeah. like, all your Nike contract, all your sponsorships and all that sort of stuff revolve off that, and. I'd kind of broken up with my long-term girlfriend like a month or so before the Olympics, so it was pretty um, hectic as well. And it was just like, yeah, it's just I was just getting smashed like left, right, and center from life stuff. And um, it all started to just weigh weigh up. Yeah, yeah, yeah weigh up, and um, yeah, and then I kind of I think I did one more race, and I tried to work up, you know, like yeah, you know, just one more effort, one more effort, and. I think, again, I ran 145 high or 146 low. And, it, you know, like, it was okay, but mentally I was, like, and physically I was, I was done. And, um, went to Amsterdam for a few days and Portugal for a few days and then flew home. And, um, but, yeah, in the meantime, like, I kind of ran, like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty open. <laughs> so, um, you know, I spoke to my parents and said, Mom, I'm not feeling good. Uh, um, and I spoke to my coach and... Um, Andrew Russell and he's unbelievable like he's um, he's, he's actually studied um, psychology like he's not a psychologist but he's he's done a psychology major with his um, exercise science degree and I sort of got home and things were put in place to see people and, and but yeah it just sort of yeah it just kind of got harder and harder and um, yeah like you said you know like I just I don't know it's just like just being in the Olympics like Got my place here in Elwood, like, um, you know, I'm educated. I've got a really good family. Um, for me, life's not going to be that hard for me. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like, I'm going to have a pretty good quality of life. Um, and, you know, I've done some good things and achieved some good things, but, like, my head was just, like, negative. Like, yeah. Just, like, yeah, just did you, did, felt, like, worthless. Did you feel, you know, like you've touched on having such a good quality of life, did you feel guilty at all for having those problems? Like, those issues? Like, for me, I've found myself before thinking, I don't deserve to feel like this when there are people in the world that have it worse off. Like, why do I... Yeah. Why do I deserve to feel... I should be happy. I should be... I should be okay. Is that something that you struggle with? Um, I've got, got a friend who's in, you know, in a pretty bad way with mental health. And, yep. Like so far beyond me, um, and it's it's funny because I can give him really clear advice. It, when I was at my worst, like I was battling, mm. and like I could see him, and I could I could give him really good advice, but yep. then like I'd leave and I'm like spiraling myself. Yeah, I can't kind of take on that same advice. You yep. know what I mean? Um, 
And yeah, like I definitely, um, yeah, I'm definitely aware of like how hard people are doing it. Um, and that's why, like, I think like with the mental health, just the messaging is like so critical. Do you know what I mean? Because, and it, you know, it's, I guess, like you said, sometimes it is hard to talk about it because you don't want to talk about it when you know, like someone else is, you know, and you hear so many stories of, you know, like kids getting brain cancer and, you know, just things happening and you're like, Jesus, how lucky am I? Yeah. I think as a, as a society, we always have that, um, we're always looking like, like the grass is always greener. Mm. You know, like I remember even getting into athletic, uh, like when I started running well and, um, you know, my friends like, come and come out, like come out with us, like, you know, come and get drunk and have fun. And I'm like, nah, like I'm, it's what I want to do, yep. you know? Um, and I'm probably the reason they're still alive because I used to drive them out and drive them home. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's sort of, you know, and I, and I used to think like at 25, 26, you know, like I've been training so hard for so long. I feel like I've missed out on stuff. Yep. But I think now having a little bit better foresight, like, and, you know, I think it's just that natural thing. You see, like, oh, that person's got it better than me when, it, like, you know, you only see the best of some yeah. things, you know what I mean? Yep. So I think it's, so a lot of, I guess, you know, me was, like, trying to, um, yeah, trying to be a bit more present and, um, yeah, gratitude and, yep. and just sort of, yeah, recognizing where you are and what you got. Yep, no, well said. Um, can you think back to a particular moment where your mental health hit rock bottom um was it that breakdown in cologne or was there was there any incident that stands out where you look back where you realize yeah that's where i was at my lowest um yeah there's a few times where like i would lay on my bedroom floor like just like paralyzed with anxiety and like i just could not move i'd be crying and um you know i had to go home for weeks at a time like back to my parents just because i couldn't live on my own like i couldn't look after myself and the hardest part was all through this, like I just kept, I was still running like a yeah. one day a week because I just had to, you know, and and then, you know, you have, you'd be, yeah, I'd have days where I'm driving home from something and I'm just like losing it. Um, yeah, and you just like, I just don't, like you just think, like I never got to that point where you just think, gee, sometimes I think it'd be way easier just to yeah. not be doing this. Yep, <laughs> like, yep. Um, you know, it's just like, this is, it just feels too hard. Mm. Um you know, so that was that was pretty hard. But yeah, I, I think probably the part where I hit like super the rock bottom, uh, and this like really shook me, um, was when I went and saw a psychiatrist. Um, got recommended to Ranger, who's I think now heading up the AFL yep. um, program. And I yep. think he was Cricket Australia, and like Mum came along with me, and like I remember like even where we parked, and I remember like walking up the steps and like sitting he's like going into his office and him just asking me questions with my mum there um and yeah like asking you know have you like harmed yourself or anything like that and like I like I, I hadn't but it's just like when you have to answer that question in front of your mum it's like it's pretty it's pretty full on and um you know at its worst like I'd have days where like I'd be just um yeah lying on my bedroom floor just like crying mm-hmm. um and just paralyzed with like just anxiety and just like what you know what I do and I'd just go and find some codeine you know anything that had like some like sleep like that would put me to sleep and I would just like I'd literally just go to sleep and I'd hope hopefully wake up and things would be a little bit better because I just I couldn't like face yeah just everything just felt too hard and I just couldn't I didn't see 
like a way out. So then I was on sleeping tablets and the dosage just kept going up and mm. up and up and I'd wake up in the morning feeling like I'm drooling on myself and <laughs> trying to go out running and like because you're on sleeping tablets it feels like your heart's like struggling to pump all the blood around yeah. your body and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it sort of, yeah, it got a little bit grim there. Yeah. When did you realise that, um, uh, Ranjit, who you saw, when did you realise that you needed help from an expert and it wasn't something that you could deal with by yourself? Um, oh, well, pretty much straight away when I was in Cologne. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, within sort of getting home after a few weeks, like I was seeing someone weekly, a psychologist. Um, so I, I probably saw her like 12 times every week, um, but just spot like I was just going around in circles. Um, and yeah, and that's when like, I kind of made the decision with my doctor I need to get something different. Yep. Um, and yeah, it was also sort of around the same time as Nitro and I had a pretty negative experience there just because I, um, it was, yeah, obviously Nick was the coach and he kind of just made my life a little bit hard yep. <laughs> um, for that event, unfortunately. And um, yeah, just no communication on what I was doing and all that sort of stuff. And like I was, that's when like my ankle, injury sort of started flaring up and um, I was on any flams and um, yeah it just got to the point where I was just like um, I just yeah running's not important anymore like I need I need help like I need to get this sorted out and um, yeah it's funny like I don't like I was getting next like MRIs and I was getting cortisones and we didn't even know what was going on I was seeing specialists and um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it was sort of my mind's way of saying, hey, mate, like... You need to address this. Yeah. You, yeah. Like, you, you know, you've got a problem, like, you need to stop running. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sort of came out an ankle injury and, um, yeah, I, yeah, I was sitting on anti-flames and, like, yeah, for months and my stomach was burning and I was in, um, like, uh, reflux medication and stuff like that and I was just like... It wasn't covering anything anymore, and I was just like, no, I can't do this anymore. I need to get out of here. Yeah. Um, so I saw a video on the dock, and I just said, yeah, eight weeks. Um, yeah, and then I, um, I was reading, um, I think it was Sarah Wilson's book, um, Making the Beast Beautiful. So, um, yeah, that was kind of like the first book that I read, and like I was highlighting stuff, and got like 10 pages of notes, and just things that kind of like, um, resonated with me and yep. all that sort of stuff and she sort of talked about a trip that she took to India um, and I was just like you know I've got time I just feel like I need to do something um, bigger than me you know just um, yeah my, my, my biggest problem is like unfortunately athletics it's just like every year it's like you work hard 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 push 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 world champs alright done alright how do I be better yep. you take two weeks off and then it's like bang straight back into it and you just like it's like you're trying to fast forward your life um, to get to the good bits. Um, and, you know, I just remember being like in races in all these great cities and just not even taking it in. Mm. It's just like, all right, long run, I'll get back to London, train hard, be better. Um, yeah, and I just, I think, I don't think I've really developed good coping uh, mechanisms. Um, my, my kind of thing was, you know what, like if I train harder than anyone and I control every single aspect of my life, I'll be good. Yeah. Um, but like that doesn't, doesn't that's work. That's not sustainable. Yeah. Um, and then for 
unfortunately, like I think I band-aided over a lot of stuff and yep. it just came up and, and, and smashed me in the face. So, yeah, I had eight weeks off and straight away, like me being me, I was like, you know, um, I spoke to my manager and I was maybe going to go do like a six-week kind of placement thing with Channel 7 and I was like, yeah, I need to just keep busy, like, I, you know, um, and I was like, after a while, I was like, I'm in no state to do anything. Um and yeah, I had a coffee with um, Catherine Freeman because um, my manager's her husband. Yep. And um, she sort of told me she took a trip to Iceland one day, like she was just yeah. And she said it was the best thing. And um, two days later, I pretty much booked a trip to Africa and off I went. <laughs> what yeah. was the um, well? First of all, what what inspired the decision to choose? to go to Africa in particular yeah. and what was the biggest lesson or takeaway from the trip itself? Yeah, I just, um, yeah, it probably goes back to like what we were sort of talking about before, you know, like there's always people worse off than you, yep. you know, and I'm like far out, like I've got this so good, but like, you know, and that was probably the most scary part. Like I just felt like I lost complete control of my brain. I don't know if you can relate to it, but it's like you're trying to like think these things, but just straight away start thinking about other things. Yeah. You're tra- like, you're, just go straight to negative. Yeah. Like, you're trying, it's like you're trying to get it back on the, on the, the train back on the track, so it just wants to go off it the just, track. It's like you want, you're trying to think positive, you're trying to do everything right, and all of a sudden, yeah, you're going the wrong direction. You're thinking, yeah. how, the, how the fuck did I end up here? Yeah, so for me, I was just like, well, you know, I, I was either Africa or India, yep. and I just kind of thought, um, I don't know, I guess like going to Kenya, and I guess I race against like Kenyans and Ethiopians, and... South Africans, and I was just like, it just kind of resonated me. It felt right, and I love rhinos, <laughs> so that was sort of another thing. Um, so I kind of, I pretty much like it was. And looking back, I'm like, Jesus, like I pretty much booked it. I left two or three days later. I arrived in Nairobi, and I wasn't in a good spot. And I was like, Jesus, I can't believe my my parents let me go. Here. Um, but like, I was on a tour for like 49 days, so I couldn't get into too much trouble and. I literally just packed my backpack. I think I had nine kilos. I had like one pair of pants, one jumper, some shorts and some tees. And um, I had a book called, oh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Oh, uh, yep, um, yep. Which is really easy to read and it was okay. But um, And then the other one was The Happiness Trap. And um, yeah, essentially like the, the goal was just to be a bit more grateful, you know, like it's just... Um, seeing another way of living in another culture and just being grateful for what I've got yep um and just sort of trying to be in the moment and just like like just like sit there and like just think wow like that's an amazing sunset or you know it's a giraffe or it's a lion like just like be present yep um and not be trying to like fast forward to like eight weeks so you can start running again and just like so my trip was only actually meant to be 35 days um and I got to Big Falls and I was already like you know, I can go, um, you know, my, my ankle's feeling pretty good, like maybe I should start running and I was like, nah, I need to be out here longer. Yeah. <laughs> so I was meant to go to Joburg, I swam the opposite way and I went through Botswana, um, Namibia and finished in um, Cape Town and yeah, just getting up and seeing sunrises and sunsets and, you know, just seeing sort of a different way of living and, you know, seeing kids like walking um, cows and lamb and all that stuff down the street, like that's, you know, not a school and you just get a real appreciation for like, yeah, just how good we have it here and, you know, I don't need all the material shit that I have. And, yep. Um, yeah, just trying to, yeah. Um, and every day I wrote a journal and, um, 
Yeah, just present, I guess. Yep. Uh, with being present in the journal writing um, and along those lines, are they sort of the, the coping mechanisms that you've developed over time that helped you deal with the issues when they flared up? Yeah, so like I, I sort of, um, like I've seen a psychologist for a while and now we're like talking about a lot of stuff, but it sort of wasn't really working. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, just talking like I think what kind of helped me was actually understanding what like psychology and yeah what it's about and then being able to put in like yeah strategies and, and coping mechanisms and, and just like developing an awareness for what your triggers are and um, and um, yeah just you know just so you can kind of manage it yep. um, so that's probably like you know, because it's been, I went in 2007, so it's been about two and a half years now um, since, like, I was, yeah. And I think, you know, like, I'm doing really well, but it's sort of like, I think I've kind of worked out what kind of works for me and what doesn't, you know. Like, I love just walking down to, with my dog to the cafe to get a coffee, you know. Like, that's just, like, simple things like that, you know. Um, I've read a lot of books on introverts, yep. on introversion, um, and kind of realised, yeah, like, you know, people don't think I am. They just see me, like, obviously when I'm running and all that sort of stuff and they probably just think that I'm really confident and all that sort of thing. And, you know, like, when I go out, I'm good, but it's like, I need a week break. <laughs> you know, I need to, like, come home and take shelter. Um, and just, yeah, curl up on the couch and put friends on, you know? Yeah. And just kind of, like, tune out. Um, you know, and I know I can't, you know, socializing is something I really struggle with and planning things, you know, like it's just, I have trouble planning things because I don't know if I'm going to want to do it. <laughs> oh, mate, I, everything you're saying so far, yeah. I'm relating, yeah, it's, yeah, you frustrating because you want to catch up with friends, but it's like, you never organize it. Yeah, and because yeah, yeah. you never know, it's hard to, it's hard to, like if I'm trying to plan something a week from now. I don't know what I'm going to feel like a week from now. So how do, how can I lock something in yeah. when on that morning I'm, I might wake up and I might feel like shit, I don't want to go out. Like it makes yeah. it difficult. Yeah, and especially with running, you know, because we are tired and, you know, like when, you're, when you're training hard, it's like you're even more. Yeah. It's also dangerous because you can't just be, you can't just be on your own because it's like, and I think that's sort of as well, um, I guess probably what I sort of struggled with like before, like in the lead up to like my mental health, with, yep. you know, and, and I think it's also a little bit um, common in, I think, distant runners especially because it kind of attracts the kind of people that like are probably deep thinkers and they can really kind of like throw themselves into it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if, like if you're not into team sport, you, you, you can control everything in running and it's sort of like you're... And you can even isolate yourself, um, you know, just by running. You know, and like I meet up with my groups and stuff, but, you know, a lot of the time, um, you know, you run on your own, you're in your gym on your own, and you're driving the program. Like, you know, you've got a coach that comes to a session, like, you know, a session once every two weeks. And I run a lot of the, the I used to run a lot of the day-to-day stuff. Yep. You know, in my group and organizing all that sort of stuff. And, um you know, like, yeah, you just, if you're on your own a lot and you're kind of one of those people who are in your head a lot, like, running can be kind of real dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, well said. Um, so those coping mechanisms have obviously helped you immensely deal with your struggles when they flare up and the trip to Africa, as you said, has helped give you a bit more perspective, a little bit more emotional intelligence, but 
Given the severity of the issues at hand, um, were there discussions that you had with doctors, psychologists, with Ranger perhaps, about the possibility of going on medication um, like antidepressants yep. just to, to deal with yeah, what you're going through on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, um, that's what Africa was. It was I pretty much hit a fork in the road and I had another appointment with Ranger and that's where we discussed like a medical plan. Um, and that was, that was nerve wracking because, um, you know, obviously there's, um, you know, and it was a while ago now and I'm not, I'm not an expert on medication or anything, but they obviously have their side effects and, um, yeah, from a performance point of view in terms of running and stuff, I, I, the feeling I got was it could play a little bit of a role in like a negative kind of role in that kind of sense so i i literally yeah i hit a fork in a road where it's like i've got eight weeks i either try and invest time in myself to get myself right or i go down the path of medication um and and thankfully you know i i had that time and um you know i had the financial ability and whatever to to get myself over there and i realized you know people don't people are doing it as hard as me and they don't have the the same access to the things that I was fortunate enough to to have access to like if I needed anything I I got it so there's you know obviously some people out there doing it a lot harder than I I am so I was I was very fortunate that I had that option to be able to take that time to to do it but um yeah like I've got some friends on medication and and all that sort of stuff I got an auntie with bipolar and she can't only um she can only function on it and she's doing really well now but she's you know had some serious serious struggles so yeah i'm 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 glad that i was able to sort of get on top of it just with um yeah i guess yeah 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 yeah. and like i've obviously i went through some stuff but there's you know i think i was only scratching the surface of of mental health yeah do you know what i mean like there's some a lot more people that have been suffering for a lot longer than what i was i've sort of got a small taste for it i just yeah Mm. one of the fortunate ones i guess earlier this year you put out a post on social media publicly addressing your mental health battle for the first time and having been in your position and just struggling to literally just press send um i've got the the utmost respect for it did you ever obviously being in your position as a professional athlete did you ever have to consider any professional implications that the post may have had with sponsors race directors um even national selectors, like, is that something that ever crossed your mind or is that posting that just a way to get a little bit of closure? Um, yeah, I, I really struggle with um, social media. Um, I'm probably, yeah, had to withdraw a fair bit from it. Um, that was probably one of the good things about Africa. I went completely off the grid. No one actually knew I was away except my parents and a yeah. few people. Yeah. <laughs> deleted all my apps. I had no very rare internet for eight weeks and it was the greatest detox I think I've ever had in my whole life. Um, yeah, so I really struggle with social media, just like thinking what people are going to think of this photo I put up. So sometimes I think I go and post and I'm like, no, nah, actually, you know, so, you know, I kind of think probably too much um, yep. about it. And I think probably that's sort of what I've probably learned in the last couple of years with my mental health. You kind of learn to embrace your weird bits and not try and like conform to what, society wants you to be like i'm a bit awkward i know that um and for me it was just i kind of just i felt like i was sort of underneath a rock (laughs) and i just wanted to sort of 
get out from under it. It wasn't that I was carrying around a secret or I was ashamed of it or anything. It's just more like I just kind of wanted to share it, I guess, um, and not to feel like it defined me or anything. Um, so that was pretty much the reason for the post. And yeah, it was nerve wracking doing it, but like I got a good response from it and, um, you know, and I'm largely a very private person. So it was, yeah, it took a fair bit of planning, um, and a few people to proofread it and, and whatever else. But, um, you know, I got no problem with vulnerability and sharing and, you know, it is what it is. And I kind of, now I guess I have that, uh, sort of approach that if you know if you don't like what I'm doing I don't really care it's just I am what I am and it's not not trying to be anybody else so yeah and in terms of the the other stuff um I guess I was also at that point where I was yeah running had sort of stopped a little bit um and you know I wasn't really thinking about it and um sponsors and sort of thing you know my my life had sort of moved on like I was studying and doing a few different things so you touched on vulnerability and I think that's a very important topic to cover because in terms of mental health as men it's not something that we're we're overly comfortable with um, and I think it's a, a massive barrier for a lot of blokes to to seek help yeah how did uh, you being vulnerable and opening up how did that help you along your your journey yeah, it's interesting you say that. I think there's also another piece to it around sport. Um, and it was something I sort of grappled with, I guess, you know, when I was in the bad part was we're kind of taught to be invincible and just keep training and smash through and show no weakness. And then all of a sudden, you know, your brain's out of control and you've lost everything. Um, so, yeah, it, it was certainly... Um, certainly difficult early and, I, and and potentially as a reason why I was very private with it and didn't really tell anyone but at the same time I've always been pretty aware of myself and my body and I think that's sort of a little bit of a, a thing through training um, you know distance running is just one foot in front of the other and mm. you got to kind of learn to manage a lot of your things so I've always been pretty open in terms of how I'm feeling and, and what's going on and um, but yeah I, I and now I've got, and especially since my mental health, I've had a few people that have probably gone through some stuff that they don't realize is mental health. It's, it's a tough, it's a stressful sort of situation, but, um, and they probably haven't been able to talk about it. So yeah, it is a, it's certainly a challenge and yeah, for me, it's, it's pretty easy now. I just ask. Yeah, you're not, you're not afraid of what people will think. Having gone through it, you're more comfortable talking about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Whereas, um, yeah, if you had been talking to me, if we had this, done this podcast like when I was 25, I'd, I would have come across it like an asshole. Like I was just like ruthless. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely, um, I think, helped. Yep. Yeah. Um, Speaking of the recovery process, during the selection uh, window for the 2018 Commonwealth Games, there was a bit of controversy surrounding your omission from the team, where despite meeting the selection criteria, uh, you were left out of the team in favour of Joe Deng, who's another talented athlete in the 800 metres. I won't touch on the specifics behind it, but given your history and the amount of work each athlete puts into their selection campaign, did you find that that period of time triggered 
any of the mental health battles that you'd fought so hard to get yourself out of? Um, it didn't really trigger anything. I think the disappointing part for me was um, like I'd fought back from injury and my mental health and I'd got myself into a good place and um, it was a home com games and, you know, we had that many tickets. My whole family was going to be there, like extended and everything. Um, so that it was, it was more the disappointment that I'd built myself back from rock bottom to a place, you know, and it, that was probably what was driving me. Yeah. Like I, and even to this day, I still have those moments where I'm driving home from a session or like I, you know, reflect upon something or something happens, you know, like, like the Spud Frawley um, situation. And it's sort of, I reflect on the bad times and, and how far I've come. And I like, I start welling up and I get um, pretty emotional. So that was like, that was sort of one of the driving forces for my motivation, you know, to sort of come back was more just for myself. So that was, that was the most disappointing part. Um, but unfortunately, selectors thought I was too old. <laughs> um, what do you think is one of the lessons you wish you knew um, that day in Cologne where you had that breakdown? What's one thing that you know now that you wish you knew then that, that maybe would have changed how you went about um, the recovery process? Um. I don't think anything would have changed that day. I think I was just on a down... Like, I think that was... It was just a culmination. Yeah, it was a culmination of a couple of years of just stuff building. Um, so I think it was more... It's more um, dealing with my stuff better mm. um, rather than avoiding it. Yeah. You know, and that's one of my coping mechanisms now. I've got to get on the front foot and deal with those things. If I just sweep them across and let them hang around in the background they build up and they become bigger and more overwhelming so yeah I wish I had a dealt with things that were giving me anxiety and stressing me out in that one or two years before and I wish I had better awareness and better emotional intelligence to deal with the situations that potentially might have alleviated the cologne and then the subsequent sort of eight months where I was in a hole and it was so much harder to get out that makes sense to cap off the chat mate i want to give you the one question i give each guest that comes on the show and that is given your perspective and the lessons you've learned along the way what's the one piece of advice you would give to someone listening at home who may be struggling in silence um yeah i guess for me the thing that really worked for me was more when i saw the psychologist and started creating strategies to deal with things um I just found with the type of person that I am, I'm more of a, and I think it comes from my running, I'm more of a problem solver, process kind of driven guy. Like, you know, running, it's like you have your week and you have your your micro cycles and your meso cycles and, you know, your tapering and all the, the, the planning that goes into, you know, running well. And so I think for me, it was like stripping it back and learning about myself um, and having strategies to be able to cope with it. So... Yeah, I, um, yeah, just sort of, yeah, learning what my triggers were, having strategies and then, yeah, just, and then like I remember times when I was really bad, I I used to just get up in the morning and 
I'd leave all my technology at home and I'd walk down the canal towards the beach and I'd just try and be present. And so it sort of it began with just creating like little kind of routines that would, um, yeah, like I, I sort of had to go back from the ground, the bottom and sort of build myself back up really. So yeah, I guess it's sort of education, learning about yourself, learning about psychology and, and then, yeah, just trying to making sure you've got all the information and the tools yeah but actioning it as well not just learning it and then not doing it mm-hmm. there's no point you know yeah. going to the effort of of finding out all these things but then not actually actioning it so you've got to you've got to have a, a balance between the two because i think sometimes um yeah you can over talk things you can overthink things with a psychologist and go into too much detail whereas you just sort of need to find the balance between yeah understanding it and then having a strategy and trying to enact it i know it's not that easy especially when you're you know your head's out of control and all that sort of stuff but it's just it's just trying to make small gains every day um that add up in the long run mate i cannot thank you enough for how honest and open you've been today um i have no doubt in my mind that regardless of someone's uh time around the tan uh what you've said today is going to resonate with them uh, good luck with all the future endeavours. Um, here's to keeping fit and hopefully at least one of us running fast and I look forward to the next time you decide to drop me at Ballarat. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully next year I'm in Europe um, racing <laughs> not at the uh, Ballarat 15K. That'll mean that things have gone well. Things are going smoothly. Yeah. No, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah, cheers.